Hello and welcome to the Raw Podcast brought to you by the Sunderland Echo. I'm your host for today, James Copley, joined by my colleague, Joe Nicholson. Joe, how are you? I'm good, yeah. Looking forward to a few more games that we've got this season, at least two. So it's exciting stuff, isn't it? It's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Uh, in case you've been living under a rock, Sunderland have qualified for the playoffs by finishing in the top six of the championships. Uh, against the odds, really, Millwall were 3-1 up at Ewood Park at one point. Sunderland won 3-0 at Deepdale in front of possibly one of the best away ends in Sunderland's recent years. And there's 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 firm competition for that title, but I think that one's going to go down in, um, in Sunderland folklore. Magnificent scenes broadcast to the world on Sky Sports as well. Joe, an incredible afternoon. If you'd asked us in January if this was possible, we probably wouldn't have said so. But credit to Tony Mowbray, credit to the players. We'll dissect it and get into what they've had to deal with as a group and the lack of strikers and injuries and whatnot. But just on yesterday, superb. Yeah, yeah, pretty memorable day. And you say if you'd have said this in January that they'd be in the top six. There's been several moments, I think, in the last few months where you think probably the top six has gone now for Sunderland. Even at half-time, when you looked at the other scores with Millwall, 3-1 up against Blackburn. Sunderland were obviously drawing their game. Coventry had just conceded on the strike of half-time against Middlesbrough. And you're then thinking maybe that's the result if Sunderland are going to sneak in. That's the one. And then Blackburn managed to turn it around against Millwall. And Sunderland quite impressively really blew Preston away in that second half because the first mm-hmm. half had been quite even, to be honest. Uh, Sunderland had seen slightly more of the ball. Both sides had had one big chance each with Geldhart going through on goal for Sunderland before that. De Lapp had actually gone through one on one for Preston and could have opened the scoring there, but Sunderland got away with that one. But the second half, Sunderland really turned it on and some really high quality goals. The first one from Ahmad was exceptional, and we've seen that before this season where he cuts it onto his left foot. The second one from Pritchard as well, great work from from Jack Clark, and then a, an excellent finish from him. And then Clark with the third as well. It was just they're all in quick succession and really showed the quality that Sunderland have going forward and the fact that they can just blow teams away like that was was really impressive and a very attacking substitution as well from Tony Mowbray at halftime. He lost Dennis Sirkin, another injury, which we may come on to, and decided to bring Pritchard on, changed the shape slightly with Gooch moving to the left of a back three and then with Pritchard supporting Ahmad and, and Geldhard up front. And it worked because Sunderland really were, were excellent in that second half. And by the end, they were just kind of passing the ball around the back with the away fans are laying every pass and just kind of hoping that the other result went for them, which which it did, and now they're in the top six. It's incredible. The whole squad deserves credit, really. I'm going to try and quickly whip through some of them, but Ahmad Diallo, I said on Twitter yesterday, I don't... Sunderland have had some excellent low knees. I mentioned Johnny Evans over two spells. Gibral Cissé scored, I think it was 11 goals in the Premier League, scored against Newcastle. Fabio Barini's first stint at the club was alone. That was exceptional. You can go back as far as Shea Given. Uh, Jan Via the like, but in terms of quality and the impact he's made on Sunderland, I think Ahmad Diallo's right up there. I get that this loan was in the Championship. Um, you could even mention the likes of Marcus Alonso in the Premier League as well, but for what I've seen of him, the raw talent that boy, boy possesses, he could surpass most of the players on that list. I think he's been absolutely superb and going into the playoffs as well, I think as long as we've got him on the pitch and he's in form, I, I genuinely think we've got a chance. And I think you could say the same of Jack Clark as well. I think that's 21 or 22 goal contributions across all mm. competitions. Absolutely magnificent. I know you've got um, 
some some quotes from him coming later on the Sunday Echo website. Patrick Roberts, how big does that goal against yeah. Watford look now? The equaliser without that, Sunderland wouldn't have achieved this. So, and that was such a such a high quality goal. Mowbray has raved about him as being one of the the best in the league. Gelhart struggled at times during his Sunderland career, missed a chance against Preston, but the work rate he gets through superb. Equa, you know, was written off after sixty minutes against Burnley. He's proved his class. You know, that the pass to get Geldhart in was superb. Dan Neal, over two seasons, I know he oh, it was dropped towards the back end of last season, but he's been sensational. He's come back from his own setbacks, the, the sending off at Sheffield United, dropping into the number six position. The back four, as you say, Sirkin, nine, Hume, Gooch, um, Barr and Sirkin, none of those players are playing in the natural positions. Um, obviously, Hume is a defender and Gooch is more of a defender these days, but then Gooch goes up to left back. It's it's incredible, really, how well they've managed without Bath and Ballard. Obviously, against Watford, there was the two-headed goals, but to keep Preston out to a clean sheet, marvellous. And as you mentioned, Patterson as well. You know, a couple of good saves. And how much has he progressed, Joe, really? His distribution seems to be improving. I think it can let him down at times, but he seems to have developed in a... A quiet leader as well, like a leader of standards and great to have somebody like that at the club. And I think a special mention as well to O9 in Gooch because they're two players that I would have questioned, I think, at the end of last season. Um, I wouldn't have said they can't make the step-ups, but it would have been there would have been question marks over the pair of them. Can they make the step-up? I think those were valid questions. It had been a long time since Gooch had played in the Championship. O9 had played most of his career in League 2 and League 1. He'd only made one championship appearance off the bench for Watford, I think, a long time ago. And they've both stepped up magnificently. Both captained the side yesterday. Proper characters, really good leaders, a credit to the club. I've gone on a bit there, but I'm excited and I'm a Sutherland fan and I'm looking forward to playing Luton over two legs. Just magnificent, really. And the man at the heart of it all, Tony Mowbray, deserves immense credit for me. Immense mm -hmm. credit. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we mentioned that substitution that he made at half-time when he went for it. Obviously, Sunderland did have to win the game, but bringing Pritchard on for, for Sirkin, it was just a bold move and, and it worked. Mm. And at times, he's made that sort of substitution. It hasn't worked. Well, we've seen Pritchard move into a midfield role, perhaps, and he's kind of tried to be more offensive and it hasn't worked. Yesterday, it, it did. So, as you say, I think, I think he deserves credit for that. And when you mention players like O'Neill and Gooch, they're the two really senior players now, aren't they? Even, which yep. sounds silly almost in a way with O'Nine's only 28 and Gooch is only 26 but obviously they've been both been at the club a long time and those two in particular you could really see what it meant to them at the full-time whistle when all the players yeah. were celebrating in front of the fans because they've been through the hard times when the club were in league one um mm. and now they're kind of bringing it back up and, and as you said they those those two are kind of real leaders in the squad um I know Pritchard as well as one of the older players at third even but, yeah even the likes of Daniel and Patterson who've yeah. been at the, at the club yeah. yeah at the club when this has happened as well and they've decided to stay Neil particularly decided to stay when the likes of Sam Greenwood and Barley Mumba and a few of the other players um were allowed to go Neil wanted to stay in credit to him because you know playing in that unfamiliar number six role although Equa does allow him to uh, to do more of his forward passing, which I think is good because he's talented at that. I think he deserves immense credit. Mm. Yeah, Neil, excellent yesterday. And, and Equa, I think you're right to mention him. I thought he was arguably man of the match yesterday mm -hmm. and it was a big call for 
Mowbray to put him in because he could have potentially gone back to to Edouard Michu, who had been kind of the regular midfield partner for Dan Neal in the last few weeks, but Equa started the last few games. Um, you think maybe because of his physicality, because of his height, really, Sunderland are obviously yeah. lacking a lot of height, and Equa is, I think, about six foot two physically. He's quite um, well built, but really in the air, he's not really natural. I don't think of going and kind of winning and heading the ball. Um, but the thing that kind of impressed me yesterday was kind of his, his range of passing, his discipline mm. out of possession as well, which is something that Mowbray had mentioned that why he wasn't putting him in, in the team. Obviously, you look at him physically, he's a lot bigger than Mishu, and perhaps you think he's a more defensive player that can protect the back four, but um, maybe Mowbray hadn't seen that in training, and that's kind of why he was wary about putting him in. Um, but he's backed in the last few games, and he's, it's really paid off, and I thought yesterday he was, he was excellent at Preston. I think it was his, his best performance so far. I thought we'd seen signs of that in the Watford game, where he was a bit unfortunate to be substituted, really, just because of the circumstances of the game that Sunderland found themselves behind and needed a goal, and he was the guy that kind of was taken off. But I thought yesterday he, he controlled the game really well. And and as you said, he kind of way he can sit and allow Neil to get further forward, which we've seen Dan Neil is is great at doing that as well and did that well when Corey Evans was in the team. Now him and Eckwork mm-hmm. can kind of take it in turns to do that, which I think has been kind of important in the last few matches. It's been an incredible season and it could get even better. Um, in the coming weeks, we, we don't know yet, but it's exciting to be involved. I just want to run through a couple of key events at the club over over the past season. Start the season quite well. Alex Neil then went to Stoke. Joe, you were on the ground when that happened at the Stadium of Light, waiting for the press conference that never was, which will go down yeah. in infamy now. That seemed like a massive blow at the time. It was a massive blow at the time. In hindsight, um, it's turned out all right, obviously, but there's no denying that at the time everybody was gutted to lose Alex Neil at the Stoke. Ross Stewart has had two serious injuries. The second one has ruled him out for the rest of the season. Um, Dan Ballard, who was arguably the marquee signing in the summer, he was ruled out pretty early on in the season with a broken foot. He then came back, then gets injured again. He might yet return, we're not sure. Um, Danny Barth out for the season. Corey Evans out for the season. Ellis Sims recalled by Everton. There's been injuries to. Nal Huggins, injuries to Dennis Sergan. Um, Agilisi. Agilisi, Elliot Embledon ruled out for the season with a horrendous injury. And I know clubs I know clubs go through injury problems and I know all clubs suffer setbacks throughout the season. But it does feel like Sunderland have suffered a large amount of setbacks, even going back into January when Sunderland failed to get a couple of out-and-out number nines on permanent deals. It was very, very difficult to see this happening. Um, uh, that's maybe an argument for another day on whether Mowbray's masked the failures in recruitment or whether recruitment have got it spot on. I think that's an argument for another podcast, possibly a bit of both. Um, but there's no doubt in its exceptional management by Tony Mowbray. But the character of this group, the spirit at the club, actually, which has been building uh, since Donald and Methven left, really, and Kiri Louis Dreyfus took over and, and Christian Speakman came in, it's it's fun. It's passionate. Uh, they want to win, and they can come back from setbacks. Where in the five years previous to League One and over the League One period, they wouldn't have come back from from those setbacks. The club, in general, I'm talking here because the spirit wasn't there. But now it is, and there's such a connection between the club, the fans, and the management. It's it's brilliant to see. And talking to people on Twitter, possibly. Pound for pound, maybe my favourite ever Sunderland team in my lifetime because I was a bit too young to remember the the Quinn and Phillips days properly. Um, but 
so likable, so talented. I think the average age is about 21, 22 as well. It's mm. it's just remarkable and there's there's so much to like. And I, I think, Joe, going into the playoffs against Luton, um, again, you go in hope rather than expectation, I think. Um, obviously, Sunderland fans want to win. Sunderland as a club wants to win. The players want to win. But they've just done so well with the setbacks that I mentioned that as long as they're competitive and as long as they give it all, give it their all, um, I don't think anybody can complain. It's a very different feeling to that in League One, isn't it? Where you felt like we had to get out at all costs yeah. and League One was such a drag. This, to me, just feels like a Brucey bonus at the moment. It's it's fantastic. Yeah, and a lot of the players have said that as well, how last season it felt like there was a lot of pressure to get out of League One. Sunderland had been in that league for so long, whereas this season, some fans at the start of the season, I'm sure, would have just taken fourth bottom and just to, to stay up I think in my prediction at the start of the season I had about 15th um didn't see this coming but I think it's a combination between Tony Mowbray has done an excellent job to find a way to play without a striker to play without any real recognized centre-backs in the last few weeks even how to defend corners at times I think yesterday mm-hmm. Preston had two corners and Sunderland managed to to defend them without any real height in their side so Obviously, Tony Mowbray's done an exceptional job, but also the recruitment as well. Obviously, there have been flaws with failing to get a striker in over the line. But if you look at it, really, they've kind of just packed the squad with with quality players. And even mm. though Sunderland have had a lot of injuries, they can still put out players like Roberts, Clark, Ahmad. Dan Neal's obviously come through the academy, but then you look at the other players they've brought in in the summer, Ballard, Elise. They've all been great signings and all look really promising signings that are going to improve as well. And when one player drops out, another player comes in and takes their opportunity. Equa being the, the example in the last few weeks. So the recruitment team do deserve a lot of credit for the players that they've brought to the club. Obviously, you could argue that certain positions have been left um, short, but Mowbray's done a great job to kind of find ways around that. And they've got momentum going into the playoffs, haven't they? Um, as you've mentioned, they've kind of, in a way, it's a bit of a free hit. Obviously, it won't feel like that if they don't win over two legs against Luton, but no one expected to be in this position. And Sunderland have got some confidence, got some momentum. They're on a nine-match unbeaten run at the minute, which mm. is pretty mm. um, spectacular after the, the last defeat was the Sheffield United game, wasn't it? Um, mm-hmm. Where no one was really talking about getting in the playoffs. I think most people kind of thought, well, they're kind of fading away a little bit, but they've gone on this run. Other teams have dropped points. And they've taken their opportunity and now they're in the playoffs. Yeah, the way this lot bounced back from adversity is, is marvellous. It's basically the same squad that lost 6-0 um, to Bolton in League One with a few additions. Obviously, that was just over a year ago, 464 days. If you'd have said that, Sunderland would be in this position then. Come you know, 2023 at the end of the season is incredible. The, the same could be said after the Stoke game, Joe, this season. Obviously, Alex Neal mm-hmm. coming up to the Stadium of Light, losing 5-1. You think, oh God, how are they going to come back from this? Um, Luton Town, it is worth mentioning, I think, are on a 14-match unbeaten run. So it's um, mm-hmm. the battle of the streaks. We'll come on to that game. I know you're going to talk to a Luton Town reporter later on in the week. It's an interesting clash. I was I was talking to me, me dad about this and He's a Cardiff fan. He has like a knowledge of Sunderland because he used to work here. But uh, in terms of like the size of the clubs and obviously the size of the clubs isn't isn't everything. It's what matters on the pitch most. But th- these things do play into the, the psychology and the psychological factors. Sunderland against Luton Town in the playoffs, it, 
in terms of the neutral, would probably always back Sunderland in that because of the history of Sunderland and the championship. But that Luton Town team is is impressive and, and have been over a number of seasons now. Hmm. Well, also they were in the playoffs last year as well, so it's not like yeah. this is a complete fluke that they've mm. managed to get up to third. So you know they've been building for a few seasons, and um, Sunderland have had two draws with this with them uh, this season, both one one. I think they were, they were quite fortunate to get the draw at the Stadium of Light. Then Ahmad won that late penalty, which was which looks quite soft, and, and Sunderland managed to get a point there, which actually now turns out to be uh, quite <laughs> yeah. a big point. I think that might have even been the start of this nine game unbeaten run that game. So, um, but yeah, they press from that they've got. They play with two strikers, was, don't they? Yeah. In, um, in Morris and Adebayo, yeah, who, who press high from the front. And um, they're a very well-organised team. You kind of know how they're going to play with a back three and, and wing-backs. And and the job that Rob Edwards has done there has been particularly impressive when they had a very good kind of setup under Nathan Jones. And he seems to have kind of mm. taken that on another level. So definitely can't be underestimated. And at Kenilworth Road, um, for anyone that's been there, will know that the crowd's very close, very to the pitch. It can be quite a... A hostile atmosphere maybe at times even though maybe i think there's only ten thousand is the capacity around that but very packed in and um a very tight ground so for sure it's going to be two tight games and, and luton are there in third place on merit so uh, but it'll be really interesting in terms of the sizes of the club sunderland with with a huge fan base and and um almost like a david and goliath contest isn't it on paper as you said kind of the names people would look at it and think well sunderland should yeah. beat luton but based on form and what Luton have been building over the past few seasons, um, it'll be obviously a lot closer than that. It is It is a, a fascinating tie, as you mentioned there, the, the two streaks coming in at the game, Sunderland nine games unbeaten, Luton Town 14 games unbeaten, Luton Town in the playoffs last season have the momentum of that. But you could also argue that Sunderland have similar momentum, albeit different circumstances, because most of this squad, they went through a playoff campaign last year under massive pressure, which, as you mentioned earlier, the likes of Lyndon Gooch have touched on in interviews with yourself. So they have that experience, don't they? Although this is a, um, an inexperienced squad in terms of the number of games some of these players have played and in terms of some of the players' age, in terms of the experience of the playoffs, last year will have will have helped massively. They know what to expect. Um, and as you mentioned, and as I've mentioned, there's a bit less pressure on this. So I think that the message will have to be just just sort of go out and enjoy it. I think, though, that first game at the Stadium of Light will be crucial. I think it's all eyes on that, isn't it, really? Because Sunderland's home form um, hasn't been great over the season. I actually read somewhere on Twitter, I think it was from Chris Weatherspoon, actually, that um, Sunderland's away form this season is better than when they went up under Roy Keane the last time in the Championship, which is an extraordinary statistic. But the home forms let them down in places. So that, that game against Luton, in front of a big crowd at the Stadium of Light, I imagine it'll be a sellout or close to again, given the Watford game was a sellout, is going to be hugely, hugely interesting. Because you think back to last year, Sheffield Wednesday, mm. that Ross Stewart goal, keeping the clean sheet, that was so vital in the end. Mm. Yeah, that goal proved crucial, didn't it? Going away to, to Hillsborough, which was a really kind of tough game for Sunderland, but they had that advantage from the Stewart goal from the game at the Stadium of Light, which proved huge. And I felt that game, the fans really did play their part. Um, it was a sellout stadium of light, wasn't it? And Sunderland got that advantage over Sheffield Wednesday and that really proved decisive in the overall tie in that game. I always felt like that was a bit of a 50-50 game going into it, the, the Sheffield Wednesday one. Yeah. I was, I thought they'd beat Wickham in the final, but I thought that the two games against Sheffield Wednesday was a really kind of mammoth tie, wasn't it? With two kind of 
huge clubs and big fan bases. But to have that advantage at the Stadium of Light from the first leg proved really decisive. And it could be, again, the same this time. Um, obviously, Luton's ground not as big as going to Hillsborough. But as we mentioned before, the fans will be packed in. They'll be up for the game. Um, and yeah, I think, yeah, the first leg at the Stadium of Light could prove significant. And Sunderland will obviously try and get that advantage. On a sort of wider thematic issue, though, or not issue, rather point, it's it's just marvellous that this these sort of good times, these sort of events are, are coming back at sort of the top end of football. I know it's not the Premier League, but the, the Championship's pretty close in terms of like the top 10 European leagues. The Championship's probably number six or seven or, or eight, maybe. In terms of the quality, it, it, it's great that, that connection seems to be coming back because we, we saw it erode in front of our eyes in the Premier League. Obviously, Sunderland's um, attendance has held up during the Premier League era, but it was it was so monotonous seeing that that spirit, that passion, that identity sort of worn away through the Championship season was just dreadful. Through the League One seasons, it was a real test of patience for a lot of Sunderland fans, and it was really tough tough going. It's been a a difficult sort of seven six, seven years as a Sunderland fan. There have been some high moments over the years. And yes, of course, it's all relative. I understand you look at the likes of Bury and stuff, but that doesn't necessarily take away from Sunderland's struggles because every club goes, goes through struggles. It's, it's just relative to their position, isn't it? Um, but for me, it's that that identity seems to be back, Joe. Mm-hmm. And Sunderland's identity when I was growing up is, you know, fairly large crowds, massive passion, a real connection between club and fans, a team that always gives the best um, and works the hardest, but is talented. And I, I think credit must go to the, you know, f- to Tony Mowbray for instilling that because he's a, a northeast man and I, he understands the club and I think he understands what the owners want. But to the owners and to Christian Speakman for sticking to the guns as well in terms of the recruitment and the quote-unquote model, which has been criticised and rightly so. There are flaws in it, as we've mentioned. There have been holes in it. There have been calculated gambles. Just so happens those gambles have have paid off. But for me, what's impressive is the spirit, the connection. The and there is an identity. Identity is sort of an abstract term which get gets used a lot around football clubs. It does matter. I, I, I really think it does, and it, it matters in a sense that if you're winning, um, it helps with identity. Obviously, if Sunderland were losing, trying to play this style of football, things would be a bit different. But when there's something to buy into, when you can see what the club are trying to do. It, it really does help, and I think Sullen fans can, can clearly see that, and it's it's helping that relationship build and build, where under Methven and Donald it had, it had gone stale, and you know people were people's faith with was was taken severe hit after hit. So I just, I just think on that wider point, it's um it's it's good times to be a Sunderland fan, which hasn't always been mm. the case recently. I think the feelings kind of changed really from when from when Alex Neil came in when he came in. Um, I know people have different opinions on him, obviously the, the way he's left and stuff, but you can't you can't deny that he did an excellent job. But when he came in, I'll always think back to a couple of the home games, his first few home games, the one um or there was the one before he came in, uh, where Sunderland lost to Doncaster. Yeah, Defoe's first game back. Defoe's first came back. And then there was the one where they lost to MK Dons, which was Neil's first home game. And he mentioned mm-hmm. it as well in the press conference is how it felt like the players were almost playing with a huge weight on their back. There was that pressure of trying to get out of League One, um, playing in front of 30,000-plus supporters, and and it was really hard for them to manage. And you could you could see them on the pitch that 
that was kind of affecting their performances. And what Neil managed to do was kind of use the crowd in Sunderland's favour towards the end of last season to go on that unbeaten run and get them out of League One. Um, and there was a huge shift I found in terms of the kind of feeling around the ground um, going into games that the fans were actually kind of helping Sunderland pick up points. And we saw that last weekend when Roberts scored that last minute equaliser against Watford that um, that the fans played a big part in Sunderland coming from behind and getting a, a crucial point in that game. 100%. What Tony Mowbray's then done is taking it on and now the side of playing with, as you mentioned, that identity, they're playing good football um, that people kind of appreciate and want to come and watch. Um, the players are enjoying playing in that system um, and have mentioned it in the last few weeks. We've spoken to, to Jack Clark and to, to Patrick Roberts and they're saying that you know, the fans have enjoyed the football. We enjoy playing this football as players. That's what they're, they're saying. And and that has created that feel-good factor and kind of built on the positive results that Sunderland got last year to get out of League One. And now they're playing at a higher level, obviously, in the Championship um, and playing yeah, some excellent football um, that people want to come and see. It's it's interesting, isn't it, the, the, the sort of yin and yang difference between Alex Neal and Tony Mowbray? Because I think Alex Neal did a miraculous job last season. Brilliant. Mm. Brilliant, brilliant work. Yes, the way he left the club wasn't great from a Sunderland fan's point of view, but it's done. I just think Alex Neil's abrasiveness and his, his management style is so different to Tony Mowbray's. The two completely different characters, and I'm not saying one is right and one is wrong. It's just it's a it's a it's just a case of styles. But I, I would argue that in terms of tailoring tailoring a plan to the opposition team i would argue that alex neil's probably slightly better than tony mowbray mm. but in terms of tony mowbray's flipped it on his head and he's come in and he's gone well we've got all these talented players and this has simplified it a bit but it's almost a case of well we don't need to worry too much about the opposition that's far well, too he even said that didn't he because, before the yeah. preston game he was like we, we've not really studied preston that much but well, we'll do it, what we can do. exactly and he's probably been a little coy there but it just feels like he's come in and just gone right, okay, we've got these attacking players and you go and play your football, boys, because I can see it. And it's just interesting, isn't it, that I didn't really believe that was possible um, under Alex Neil because Alex Neil he didn't talk his squad down, but he was very much opposition-focused, where Tony Mowbray is not. And I think that's actually benefited this group and taken them on to another level that I didn't, I couldn't see, didn't think was possible. Um, and ironically, I don't think Alex Neil saw it was possible either. And... Tony Mowbray deserves massive credit for that and, and credit for the appointment because when he when he was appointed after Alex Neil, maybe slightly ignorant of myself, but I, I wasn't that convinced and, and possibly he's been tarred with the wrong brush over the years and he, he does point out his, his track record of bringing through young players and his track record of the likes of West Brom and Blackburn Rovers is actually quite good. Um, and when he's backed, he's a good manager. And there's not many who've played more, managed more championship games than Tony Mowbray. So, on that note, a bit of humble pie for myself. But I can't remember what point I was initially making. But yeah, the difference between Alex Neil and, and Tony Mowbray, it, it's interesting. It really is. Mm. Yeah, he's also very level level headed as well, isn't he? Mowbray kind of you saw in the celebrations yesterday at Preston with with the fans. He would he went went over and, and was appreciative of the, the support and was applauding. But he's he mentioned that hasn't he in the last few weeks that he's. He's not going to get too high. He's not going to get too low. It'll just be on to the next game and kind of focus on what they can do. And that's all they can. And that kind of I, I helped think, yesterday. I also think it's very interesting, but listened 
well, I've listened a lot recently um, just because he's been in the news, obviously, and it's always great to listen to him, but Neil Warnock, um, and he did a podcast with Sam Allardyce during the World Cup, and they were both talking about they have to manage down, but they also have to manage up as well. And it seemed to me that Alex Neil wasn't really prepared to manage up at Sunderland um, because, you know, that sort of hierarchy and structure was already set, um, which Alex Neil mightn't have necessarily agreed with their approach fully. That's probably why he's gone to Stoke. I think that's fair to say. But Tony Mowbray seems quite prepared to to manage upwards as well and to have as little input, but to be more diplomatic. Um, perhaps that's something that's come with a bit more age and a bit more experience, but I think he's done a marvellous job of that. Uh, again, saying to me, Dad, over the over the weekend, had Alex Neil had the January that Tony Mowbray had had at Sunderland, I think we would have seen a lot more uh, punchy headlines, come to think of it, because Alex Neil was a bit more direct than Tony Mowbray has been. Tony Mowbray has said that he needs help and the club needs strikers, but... I think that the two very different approaches, and I'm loath to give Alex Neil too much airtime, obviously because he's Stoke manager now. But I just think it's it's interesting in terms of Sunderland season as a whole to have this discussion. Mm. Well, he's kind of embraced the role of head coach, hasn't he, Mowbray? And he's mentioned it before that he has been a manager at other clubs where he's had to be in charge of transfers and budgets and all this. But at Sunderland, he's quite happy to. I think particularly with the fact that he works with Stuart Harvey, who he worked with at Blackburn. He can go and do the recruitment side of it. Mowbray can just coach the team. That's what he wants to do. That's what Mowbray's passionate about, is coaching players out on the football pitch. And he's been quite happy with that. And the recruitment team can do their job, bring in the players. Mowbray trusts them to bring in the right sort of players. And that's worked. And it just mm-hmm. seems to have been a, a match that's, that's worked perfectly. I've, I've always had... When that's when the system first started coming in, maybe I don't know six seven years ago, because Sunderland had Lee Congerton, who was a disaster, but went on to do great, decent things at Leicester. Um, Roberto Defanti was another one. That that model at the time when it was when it was coming over from Europe, the director of football model, I was never convinced on it. Um, but I think those two cases at Sunderland was where the head coach and the director of football, or the the person making the decisions in terms of transfers their visions just weren't aligned and it was they tried to do it too fast and they didn't do very well. They weren't using data to inform the decisions. But those two roles, coaching the team and signing the players, it's very hard to do both in the modern day, isn't it? Because they, yeah. they are two separate jobs. I would say there's a, a finite amount of managers that that can do that and do it well. The two I mentioned, Sam Allardyce and Neil Warnock, are probably masters of it because they've been doing it for so long. Um, but they they're just two such big areas now where it just makes so so much sense to have that set up at Sunderland. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as I mentioned before, the fact that Mowbray's got that relationship with Stuart yeah. Harvey and he seems to get on with everybody on the board that he trusts them to do their job and he'll do his job on the pitch and his man management skills has been mentioned that he's good with working with younger players. And I think he just, he just lets a lot of the time the players get on with it. He kind of gives them their space, their freedom. Um, mm-hmm allows them to go out and express themselves as, you know, particularly the attacking players. Um, and that's worked with this young squad and he's, he's been a really good fit. As you mentioned, perhaps when he first came in, some fans weren't totally convinced, but um, Sunderland obviously would, didn't choose to make a managerial change. Alex Neil left mm. the club. Um, that was his own decision. Sunderland had to act quickly to bring in someone. Um, but the kind of the plan that they had in place for if something did happen, if they did lose the head coach, has worked well. They brought in Tony Mowbray, who was obviously someone that they'd been tracking. And yeah, it's proved a really good fit. 
just a, a thoroughly nice bloke as well, to be honest. Really, really, is, yeah. really, really sound guy. Um, so Luton Town this Saturday at the Stadium of Light. Following game is on the Tuesday at Kenilworth Road. Injury news, Joe, because that mm. is the, the concern, wasn't it, with Lyndon Gooch and Dennis Sergan. Yeah. What's the latest? What has Tony Mowbray said? What should we expect? Um, should we start with the positive or the, the negative? Should we start with the bad, the bad news first? Start with the negative and then end yeah. on the positive. <laughs> well, the Sergan one was seemed like the worst of the two. Mowbray um, said that he'd swollen his ankle and, and couldn't move it. So that's obviously doesn't sound good. Uh, I'm just finding the quote here. It's swollen up on him and... He's had no feeling in it. We'll have to wait and see. I sit here and hope we can strap it up or whatever and send him out uh, to play, but we'll see. So obviously, Sirkin has been, you know, obviously with the Lise being injured the last few weeks, Sirkin's come back in and been a, a key player. And with Sunderland's other injuries at the back, obviously Gooch has been needed at right back, for example, or even coming into, or Hume coming into centre-back. So that they've really got very few defenders. So the fact that Sirkin went off with, with an injury at half-time and was forced off, that doesn't sound too good, but hopefully he can um, be okay. Obviously, he's not ruled out for the games against Luton. The Gooch one sounded more positive. Um, I think that was just a knock. Um, and Sunderland were winning the game at the time as well. So there was kind of less... Mo- that Mowbray, was said he, Mowbray said he'd play if his leg was hanging off, didn't he? Yeah, he said <laughs> he'd play with his, his leg was hanging off. And also, Gooch was out celebrating quite um, yeah. enthusiastically in front of the, the fans at the end. So I'm, I'm pretty sure that Gooch should be okay for the for the first leg. In terms of the other players, obviously the, there are a lot that are out for the season. People like Stuart, Evans, Bart, Ballard potentially is the one that That's we've a been big question, at, isn't thinking it? A big question. maybe could come back in. Um, obviously we'll get a further update from Mowbray later this week in his pre-match press conference, but that would be a big boost if obviously he could come back in. A big, obviously, asset from set pieces and he's been probably possibly signing of the season this season. Oh, Definitely from a defensive point of view. Obviously, Ahmad at the other end's been yeah. been excellent as well. But yeah, Balaz's been a, a really excellent player, really key player w- when he's played. So that could be a boost if if he comes back. So um, but he's kind of the only one really we think could come back. The others, the long term ones, we're, we're not expecting anyone else to come back. Indeed. Well, I think that will will probably end it there, Joe. You'll be back um, sometime before Friday with a preview podcast. Yeah, yeah, sometime before the before the first leg, we'll we'll get a writer on from Luton and see how they're shaping up ahead of the games. Excellent. Well, there was a boatload of of content on the Sunderland Echo website, as you would expect. If you if you were in the wind and a fan, and fancy sort of reliving the action, there's um, a photo gallery. <coughs> oh, that's the dog barking at the cat outside. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> oh dear, ever, dear me. That's terrible. We'll end it there. <laughs> yeah, we'll end it there. Go, go to the Sun and Echo website and click on the content, please. <laughs> right, Joe. Nice one. I shall. Uh, I'll see you on the other side.